Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. from 1 Peter chapter 5 as we return to conclude this wonderful epistle from the Apostle Peter. We'll begin reading in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willing as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Amen. Please be seated. Timothy Whitner, a professor at Westminster Seminary, tells in a book on pastoral leadership of traveling to Israel with a group And the tour guide along the way mentioned how shepherds in the Middle East lead their flocks, not from the back, but from the front, that the shepherds lead and that the sheep follow. They never drive the sheep. And this obviously corresponds with biblical texts like Psalm 23, the Lord leads us by quiet waters, and John 10, that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and follow him. Well, as they were going along on this tour, they saw a man with a flock of sheep. But this man wasn't in front of them. In fact, he was behind them, and he was indeed driving them and even whipping them in the direction that they needed to go. And so, of course, everyone on the tour asked the guide, why is he doing this? And the tour guide was so perplexed that he made the bus driver pull over so that he could get off and talk to this man. And so... He got off, and they had a few exchanges, and the tour guide got back on the bus, and Sid, with a little smirk, well, he told me that he is not the shepherd. He is the butcher. (laughs) And obviously, shepherds and butchers are important and needed, but you can understand how their approach with the flock would be entirely different. One has encouraged and encouragement and care for the well-being of the sheep, while the others see the sheep as a means to an end. What Peter says in this passage to the leaders of the church, be shepherds and do not be butchers. Shepherd the flock of God. And so as we come back this day to 1 Peter as well as installing new officers to this church, we come to a very appropriate passage, an exhortation to shepherd the flock of God. Obviously as elders, as deacons, but as leaders. Leaders in the home and the leaders in the church. The calling is to be shepherds. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed a shepherd. His people are the flock under his care. And every leader 
be it in the home or be it in the state or be it in the church, will give an account to the great shepherd of their stewardship, of their watch care, of the Lord's sheep. And so may the Lord find us faithful in shepherding his own. We'll see this this morning in two points, call to leaders and then the calling of a shepherd. Moments ago, we engaged in something that many would say is distinctly Presbyterian, and it is. But I would hope that you would see that what is done is not just Presbyterianism, but is biblical, and biblicalism, as we could put it that way. Now, we are trying to be faithful to God and to his scriptures, because one of the fundamental principles of our church, of being Presbyterian, again, because I think it is biblical, is that the church chooses its own leaders. But the leaders are not dictated upon the church, but those that are installed and ordained come from the congregation and are known by the congregation. That their godliness, their behavior, their conduct is well known, and therefore they are put into this position because of that. And that that leadership is not in the hands of one or hands of a few but is in the hands, ultimately, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the government of the church is not a monarchy, it's not an aristocracy, it's not even a democracy, it's a theocracy. And we come, ultimately, under the care and leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the king and head of his church. And Christ tells us to ordain and to choose leaders, leaders to govern over us. And we're all responsible to Christ and to his word. And what is ultimately so amazing is that many may think that the church is something that we can do away with. That it is something of a bygone era of yesteryear. And that we can do things more efficiently now in the 21st century. That we can work more proficiently through other means. That we can gather together probably perhaps through technological means online or through chat groups or forums. And that we no longer need the church. And what we need to see from the scriptures is that the church is God-ordained means for the kingdom of God to be spread throughout the world. Not just in a bygone era, but of every year, of this year, of this year of our Lord. And yes, indeed, the church can have problems. Yes, indeed, the church has sin. At times, the church works very ineffectively and many times clumsily. But that is because the Lord is using people like us. People that are sinful. People that are fallen. And so, therefore, when we point out problems in the church, we are merely pointing out problems in ourselves, are we not? And yet the amazing thing is that God uses his church in a powerful and mighty way. And God does so much more through us collectively than we can do on our own or perhaps through a certain other forum or certain other way and so yes at times we can experience the angst and concern and perhaps even frustration with the church 
But we're to be reminded that the church is the bride of Christ. And therefore, we should never speak disparagingly of the church any more than you would want someone or yourself to speak disparagingly or poorly of your own spouse or perhaps even of your own mother. All our concerns must be rooted in love. If we are to love Christ, then we are to love what Christ loves. Christ loves his church and gave himself for her. And therefore, we are not to lob grenades from afar. But like our Lord, we're to give of our blood and our sweat and our tears, of our labors for the good and for the edification of his church. Of any time, this is not the time to pull out from church. If anything, this is the time to push in, to dive in. And our prayer would be, Lord, use me in your church and for your church. And that's exactly what Peter is doing here. He's exhorting the elders of the church that whatever position, be it elder, be it deacon, be it a leader, just be a good congregational member, that we are to give of ourselves to the church. Because no matter the position, and in fact, the greater the position, if we put it in those terms, the greater the service required. That greater the leader, greater the servants. As Peter will go on to say in verse 5, we're to clothe ourselves in humility. That God gives grace to the humble. And as Peter writes this passage to the church, and to this, uh, the leadership of the church, to the elders, notice he writes in a way that demonstrates his humility. Notice he says, I exhort you. He doesn't say, I command you. I do not dictate from on high. Even though he could have, perhaps, as the chief of the apostles, of the chief of the disciples, he doesn't speak. In that way, notice he says, I exhort you as a fellow elder, not one that is over you, but one that comes alongside you, one that is a brother in arms, a fellow soldier in the trenches, because we need to be reminded that as Peter demonstrates, there is no inherent authority in the church in any given person. All authority is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is mediated from Christ and through his words. And therefore, we're not to have any kings and queens in the church that are governing over our little areas. No, we're to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to represent Christ. We're to get our marching orders from him. And so Peter writes here as a fellow elder. But notice he doesn't write just to the elders. Yes, he's exhorting the elders, but he does so in a sense in the hearing of the entire church. And I think he does so that so the entire church would see what type of leaders are needed. How to identify true leaders and elders within the church. And what he says is that leaders are 
forged through the trials of suffering. Notice he says, I speak to you as a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That leaders, first and foremost, must be willing to suffer alongside Christ so that they may receive of the glories and excellencies of Christ, to find all of their excellencies in Christ alone. And Peter is saying to the church, those are the leaders that you need. Those are the leaders that you must choose. The leaders that are ultimately always bringing you to the great shepherd. That are answerable to his word and direct you as the congregation according to that same word. He goes on second then to demonstrate what type of leaders are needed. He gives the calling of a shepherd. Here's the exhortation, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Again, in an economy of words, Peter summarizes the task of leadership, of being an elder or deacon or just a general leader in the church, he does so with a metaphor, and that is of a shepherd. And we can look throughout the scriptures on how the godly leaders demonstrated this shepherding quality. We can look back even how Moses and David, for a time, had to tend to sheep before they were called to leadership. We can see how the kings of Israel oftentimes poorly were shepherds. How they did not care for the sheep of God. But ultimately we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of what it means to be a shepherd. For it is Christ himself that says I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And so therefore we shouldn't be surprised as we see in verse 4. That Peter calls Jesus the chief shepherd. That we are all the sheep of his care, of the flock, underneath his leadership, underneath his watch care. And any that are called to leadership then are to model that leadership after Christ. We are under shepherds. And he goes on then in verses 2 and 3 to demonstrate what that looks like. And he gives... Three affirmations and three denials. Three things what it doesn't mean to be a shepherd. And three things that it does. Notice how he says it's not this, but it is this. It is not that, but it is more like this. And he begins by saying this is the reason. Why anyone should be an elder, anyone should be a leader. That they should not do it under compulsion, but willing. As God would have you. Not under compulsion, but willing. In other words, it shouldn't be an outside force or pressure, at least in the human sense, that there shouldn't be someone that is twisting your arm to do it, or you perhaps thinking, well, I need to do it because I'm the only competent person able to do it. Nor should it be someone that needs to give you a swift kick on the backside to be motivated to do it. That there is an inward motivation. That there is an inward willingness. And that willingness comes from the Spirit of God that is compelling 
a person to serve in this capacity. With our newest installed elder, he had been asked for many years to serve in this capacity and had said no. And so obviously when he met with the elders, we asked him, well, why now? And he said, I could no longer in good conscience before the Lord say no. That's the reason. And it is before the Spirit of God that compels us, that makes us willing. That we are to be willing as God would have you to be willing. That is the reason. Second is the motivation. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. It's not for what you can get out of it, but rather what you can give. It's not what you can obtain financially or personally or in the ways of power or prestige or fame or status sake, but it's rather for the good of others, for the sake of others. Again, listen to how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. You remember 2 Corinthians and the church in Corinth was a difficult church, and yet Paul and fellow elders had to shepherd that flock. And it was so difficult, in fact, that many were saying that Paul was out of his mind. And Paul writes to that church in this way. He says, if we are beside ourselves, literally, if we're crazy, as you think we are, it is for God. But then he goes on to say, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of God controls us. In other words, the love of God compels us. Paul is saying we can do no other. The love of Christ drives us to lead and to love. It shapes everything that we do. And so the motivation for being a leader in God's church is for the good and well-being of the flock. We're to be shepherds, as I said before, not butchers. We're to care for the sheep, not fleece the sheep. We're to have the love of Christ and love for Christ's sheep. Remember, at the end of Christ's time on earth, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And when Peter affirmed that love, what was Jesus' response? Feed my sheep. Tend to my lambs. If we are to love Christ, then it automatically implies that we must love that which Christ loves, to love and to tend and care for his sheep. That is the motivation. Third is the purpose, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Notice that it's not do this because I told you to do this or do what I say and not what I do. The leadership in the church is never to be top-down. It's never to be military-type style where we bark orders down the chain of command, but rather we're to be an example. And it begs the question, an example in what? Well, ultimately, it's an example in everything. Privately, publicly, at home, and work, in the church, in the community, in our speech, and in our conduct, in All areas of life, the leader is to not be out of accord with God's principle, the scriptural principles that are laid before us. 
As perfect examples? Of course not. There is only one perfect example, and it is not us. We are in desperate need of the grace and blood of Christ. No, not examples of perfection, but examples of service. Examples of humility. Yes, even suffering. The leaders of the church are ones that are saying to the rest of the congregation, come join us in getting our hands dirty, using our gifts as the body of Christ, as Christ has equipped you so that we would grow together, so that we would show the love of Christ. They're saying, follow me as I follow Christ, so that he would be glorified, that he would be praised. It is ultimately the opposite of being domineering. Paul, again, demonstrates this and writes in this way in First Thessalonians 2. Listen to what he says to that church. He says, we never came with flattering speech, or a pretext for greed. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond of an affection for you, we are well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives, because you have become very dear to us. Notice how Paul writes. That is the writing of a shepherd. We're to demonstrate our genuine conduct. As Paul says here, as a gentle leader, as a mother would care for her own child, sharing our very lives with you. And so leaders are to be examples. Perhaps this morning you're saying, well, I'm not sure that I want to be a leader. I'm not sure that I'm called to be an elder or be a deacon or perhaps be the women's ministry coordinator. And that is true. Not all are perhaps called to be shepherds, to be leaders. But I would say this, all are called to be examples. And whatever capacity the Lord has given you, whatever realm you are in, whatever part of the church you are to serve in, you're to do so as an example, to demonstrate your godliness, to demonstrate your conduct, your service. Because ultimately, we all bear one title in the church, and that title is that of servant. We are all servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all bearers of the cross, be it as elders or deacons or be it as a lay leader. No matter what function, whatever giftedness God has called you to, as men and women, we are to be servants of Christ. And we do so as a part of the flock of Jesus Christ, a part of the church. And so, as we begin this new year, let me ask you, how is it that you're going to conduct yourself? How is it that you are demonstrating your example? How is it that you are able to serve? And in what capacity are you serving the Lord's church, and his sheep, the flock, under his care. And what a privilege it is as we, again, start this new year. What a privilege it is to serve together, to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the sheep of his hand, the flock of his care. And so for those newly installed deacons, an elder, 
Scripture would say to you, shepherd the flock of Lord Jesus Christ. From the youngest of lambs to the oldest of sheep. From the easy to love to the cranky and ornery sheep. That may nip a little at times. (laughs) We're to shepherd them all. And to the existing elders and deacons, shepherd the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to you Sunday school teachers and nursery workers and women's Bible study leaders. And again, whatever capacity the Lord has called you, whatever way that you are using your gift and giftedness, you are called to care and provide for the Lord Jesus Christ. To minister to the sheep. To be an example to the entire flock. Because we have, ultimately, again, one great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter ends this way, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That is why we do it. Not to be seen by others, not to receive what we may here on this earth, but to hear from the chief shepherd, well done, good and faithful under-shepherds, good and faithful servants. Enter into your master's joy. Receive the unfading crown of glory. During Peter's day, when the athletes would train and when they would compete, if they were able to win the award for whatever competition they were given, they were given an olive wreath that would be placed upon their head. And so the very best, the medal of honor that would be shown to them would be one that would be only temporary. One that would ultimately fade. And isn't that a picture of all earthly glory? All earthly prizes and medals. All such things will fade. All such things will diminish. All things ultimately we will not be able to take with us. But notice what Peter says here, not the work that is done unto Christ. That work is that of unfading glory. And we will receive such a crown on that day. As we finish this morning and as we go to the table, Psalm 23 is such a familiar psalm written by a shepherd, King David. And he got it right, even as the king of God's people. He begins with a right tone, saying that the Lord is my shepherd, and therefore I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And so until the Lord leads us to those eternal green pastures, to those eternal waters by, let us faithfully in this year, the year of our Lord, Serve him as shepherds and leaders, as elders and deacons and servants of his, all underneath his care, the care of the good shepherd. For as David ends that psalm so appropriately, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.